Well, as we've mentioned already this morning, we're starting a new message series called Cross Currents. And in this series, we're going to take a look at um, uh, a news event of the week. Uh, we're going to discover that news event sometime at the first part of the week. And then take a look at what the Bible has to say about it and what the Bible teaches us on the subject. One of the values we have here at OTCC is we deeply desire to be authentically biblical. This means that we have a deep desire for the proper application of God's Word to be our guide for living. It means that we turn to the Bible to understand as best as we can God's vision for our lives, and it means that we believe the teachings of the Bible, when properly interpreted, is relevant for our lives today, that the Bible's not just a a dusty old history book for another time and another people. And my hope is, as your pastor, and I'm sure Pastor Brian shares the same, is that as you go throughout your life and as you interact with and, and encounter events of the day, you will think biblically, that you will think theologically about subjects. When we hear news stories, we will ask, you know, how does God view this subject? You know, it's, it's, it's one of the first things we should think about. When we hear something on the news, how does God view this subject? Or another question, what is my responsibility as a person? faith and how I think about this subject. Or when I hear a news event and I think about how God thinks about it, is there something in my life that I need to change in the way I think about and view that subject and what kind of specific action should I take? So before we uh, dive in. Let me just talk a little bit about the method and the nature of the series. I've already mentioned the method a little bit. Each week we're going to lift up a news story from uh, online news or, or a newspaper and then take a look at what the Bible has to say. So, for example, a couple weeks ago, Hurricane Ian was in the news constantly and saw the devastation down in Florida. And so when, as God's people, we first hear that news, our first thought is, okay, we, we turn to God, who's the creator of heavens and the earth, and we ask God to, to pour his mercy out on those people. Maybe we see uh, that news and we think, okay, how can I get involved? How can I help those in need down in Florida? So that's the, the, the method. The nature, and I want to make sure we get this, this is not a message series about politics. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody knows that while there will be subjects that we talk about that political leaders deal with uh, often, our goal is not to discern at all what a political party thinks about an issue. Our goal is to discern what God thinks about the issue and therefore what we should think about the issue. So let's begin with a subject that's in the news almost every day. Let's begin with a subject that is probably near and dear to most of our hearts, and you guessed it, the subject today is money. It's money. A quick search through any newspaper and online site, you will find articles this week alone about the rate of inflation, for example, just skyrocketing. I heard today, and I I just, I have to... I was going to say I need to Google this to make sure it's right because I heard it on CNN, so I need to Google it and heard it's right. But flour is up 80% over a year ago. That's a lot for flour. You almost double the price of flour. It's amazing. Or, get this, gas prices jumped 20 cents a gallon in Virginia just last week alone. That's, that's a lot in one week. 
Last week, at one point, stocks had fallen six days in a row, and then I just stopped looking. I thought, I am not going to look anymore about what the stock market is doing. And I encourage you, if you're in the stock market, take a break. Don't look today, at least. Money and the worry over money is one of the leading causes of stress and arguments in marriages, and for that matter, in all relationships when you think about it. It can be a cause of stress between parent and child. It can be a cause of stress between friend and friend. It can be a cause of stress in communities with different groups, states, nations, even countries around the world. It is a subject that we deal with all the time and that we think about often. So it's good that we say, okay, let's stop for a second. What does God think about this subject. One of the most quoted and misquoted verses in the Bible about the subject of money is 1 Timothy 6.10. It reads, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, when misquoted, people leave the, the word love, and they simply say, they shorten it, and they say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, what they do when they do this is they're taking the heart out of the equation. It is really dangerous to read the Bible and take the heart out of anything from what God's Word says. For example, a quick glance here at the financial statement of OTCC would tell you that money can do a great deal of good. Through your generosity, the hungry and homeless are fed every week here in the name of Jesus, and that is really good. Through your generosity, people hear about the love and the grace of Jesus through this ministry. Through your generosity, people who are going through difficult and challenging times receive encouragement and counsel. Through your generosity, missionaries here, near, and far are supported as they share the love of Jesus. Through your generosity, we operate this facility as a hub of goodness and grace in our community. Money can do really good things. And generosity is a beautiful attribute of this congregation. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at some words from Jesus and use it as a, a, an additional word of, of encouragement and a tune-up as we think about the role of money in our lives and in the life of the congregation. So let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And the topic of money and our treasures is so important that Jesus included it in the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. I'll go ahead and take out your message notes too and check out the resources I've provided for you. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves, so, so underline for yourselves, okay? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what I want us to do is take a look at the concept of our treasures, and not just our treasures though, but what Dallas Willard calls our treasurings, okay? Our treasurings. Our treasures are, are those things in life that we pursue or keep because we have assigned a value to them. Some treasures are material. Others are non-material, such as our reputation or sense of security and our relationships. Treasures, in essence, embody our values. And treasures are vital to life and part of the human experience. Let me just give you an example from, from my journey. About a year ago, I was at my, my uh, stepdad's home in North Carolina, and uh, I noticed there on a bookshelf uh, uh, some books of my mom's, and one of them was this old red and white checkered Betty Crocker cookbook. I bet it was from 1950. Anybody have that at all? Yeah. It's absolutely I took it right away because I'm trying to learn how to cook and everything. And I took it and, and I started flipping through the pages and, uh, and saw the worn out ones, the, the recipes that I recognized from, from childhood. But then I also saw where my mom had written on some of the recipes where she knew better than Betty how to make that dish. And so I asked my, my stepdad and asked my siblings if I could have it. And, and uh, they all agreed that I could have it. And I absolutely love it. Now, my guess is you could probably go to a thrift shop and, and spend less than five bucks and get a 50-year-old Betty Crocker cookbook. But I would not sell it to you for any amount in the world. If you came into my house and tried to steal it, I would sick my 13-pound miniature schnauzer on you. And you're not getting that cookbook. Why? Is it about the recipes? Is it about the book? No. It's my connection to my mom, and it's, it's something, it's a treasuring. It's not just a book, it's a treasuring. It has a different type of value. Willard says when we discuss our treasures, it is not really to discuss, it is really, excuse me, to discuss our treasurings. And we are not to pass it off as simply dealing with external goods, which are non-spiritual or physical stuff that just ends up in the attic somewhere. What we're dealing with when we talk about these things is the structure of our souls. That's what we're really dealing with when we talk about these things, the structure of our souls. And so Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount gave us a few incredible images of what it means to think about and prioritize the things we treasure and our treasurings. He says, first of all, that treasures are like and these are my words here, not Jesus's, but, but similar. A travel journal of the heart. A travel journal of the heart. You've seen one of those vacation journals, right? That describe where you've been and what you've seen. You know, when you plan a trip at the beginning, you sort of get an itinerary going. And then as you engage that trip, you either do a, a, a journal the old-fashioned way. You, you keep notes of what you've seen and all that, or you keep it on your phone and pictures or whatever. But at some point when we travel, we keep a travel journal. Well, Jesus said that our treasures, 
they serve like a, a, they tell a story like a journal of where we allow our heart to go. That's what they're like. If you want to see a journal of your heart, a travel journal of your heart, where your heart has been, just when you get home, go online to your bank statement. Or if you use the old-fashioned paper ones, just pull it out and take a look. And look at your bank statement. That is where you've allowed your heart to go. And that will give you a sense of where your heart is traveling. This is why Jesus says, be careful. Be careful where you invest your treasure because that is the mission to which you are going to send your heart. Be careful where you invest your treasure because that's where your heart is going. We all want to make investments that last. And Jesus is saying here is to get all wrapped up in the pursuit of earthly treasure to allow that to define your soul's most passionate quest is to wrap your heart around things that will ultimately decay and not stand the test of time. We know this instinctively, don't we? Often when people say they want something, they will even say, I have my heart set on such and such. You ever heard somebody say that? You know, I've had my heart set on that for a while. You know what happens. The typical 21st century treasure quest goes something like, we have our heart set on something, then we shop online for a while, we look for the best deal, and we keep going back and comparing Amazon and all these other things. We talk about it with our friends for a while, and then the big day comes, and we go out and buy that, that thing, that new thing that we wanted, that we have our hearts set on. You buy it, then what happens? It doesn't take long for the new purchase to wear off. It doesn't take long for the next upgrade to come out. And we're again dissatisfied. Jesus was all over this. And it's why he said, if you constantly place your heart which, with that which ends up in the junkyard or the yard sale, then you're taking your heart on a really wild ride. You're taking it on a really, really wild ride that will ultimately lead in your disappointment and your soul stays hungry and thirsty and wanting. He loves you too much. He cares for you too much not to warn you. If you put your treasure with things that don't last, you're going to be disappointed. He wants your heart invested in that which will last, that which will not decay, and that will bring you ultimate and eternal satisfaction. He wants your heart with the way and work of God. This includes investing in your spiritual journey through the ministry here of the church. This includes treasuring justice and mercy and goodness in the world. This means investing so that others can hear the gospel. This means investing to bless the least and the lost. When we do this, you have a deep satisfaction of investing in something that God protects. God protects eternal investments. The investments in the things of God do not appreciate or depreciate, excuse me, they appreciate. Isn't that amazing? 
Let's take another look at a, another image. It's fascinating. And that's one of a spiritual eye exam. Verses 22 through 23 again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, at first glance, this might seem a little out of place. Why is Jesus talking about material possessions and then he changes the subject and starts talking about our eyes and then back to money after this? We're like, boom, boom, boom. Author Dave Stone refers to this concept as a spiritual eye test as Jesus connects the eyes here with the struggle of materialism. The Bible refers to the eyes as a gateway or a lamp that allows us to see what is really in the heart. Have you ever heard of the phrase, the evil eye? Ever hear that phrase? Well, a lot of times people think about the evil eye as an angry glare. But actually, when the uh, term first came, it meant an eye that was full of jealousy or greed or envy. This kind of eye reflects the heart of someone who wants all they can see. For example, when our first parents were tempted in the garden, one of the, the gateways in the temptation was the fruit was pleasing to the eye. It was pleasing to the eye. There's another term we use when we're pursuing earthly treasures. People will say, you know, I've kind of had my eye on that. You ever hear that? I've kind of had my eye on that new pair of shoes or have my eye on those national tickets. I've said it a couple times, or I've had more than a couple, confession. I've had my eye on that new couch. Advertisers know that our eyes lead to our heart and then straight to our wallet. Pictures are worth a thousand words and a lot of dollars. Advertisers move us from brand to brand, upgrade to upgrade, and we follow right along like lemmings over the cliff of consumerism. One writer said that every parent, when their kids get old enough, should take their kids on a field trip to the landfill and let them see where all those consumable goods end up. My guess is everyone in the family could use that lesson. Jesus said when our eyes are so filled with material things, that our whole body is filled with darkness. We become blinded to what he is doing in the world. Our vision becomes dim and distorted. Our spiritual vision gets really bad. So when our eyes are just full of the material, we're not able to see the spiritual. We're not able to see what God is doing. But when we value the things of God, when we give generously to the work of God, our spiritual vision is sharpened and we start to see more of God's activity around us. It's fascinating that way. And just as we would look in the, the Wall Street Journal or on CNBC to see how our stocks are doing, when we invest in the work of God, we begin to focus our attention on the things of God to see how our investment is doing. When I see a a hungry or homeless person in town, I want them to know about carpenter shelter and I want them to know about open table and I want them to know about the food distribution. When I hear of women needing a second chance, I want them to know about Together We Bake and all the different ministry partners that we engage in. 
If you want to see more of the activity of God, invest in the work of God and your eyes will follow. The, the last image here, and we, we can just draw the conclusion here, is that money is the great revealer. It's the great revealer. Jesus closes out here with a warning and a challenge. The warning is money and material possessions can become like a master in your life. You can become enslaved by money and it can rule your life. Or Jesus can be your master and you can receive his life. But you can't serve both. You're either going to trust God for your security and prioritize your service to him, or you're going to trust money and that which you can produce with your own hands. Is it a God-directed life, or is it a money-directed life? And get this, God cares for you. He wants the money he allows you to earn to meet your needs. He wants you to use it also to meet the needs of others, and to invest in his work here and around the world. Let me say that again. God wants the money that God gives you the capability to earn to meet your needs. He also wants you to use it to meet the needs of others and to meet the needs of the work of God. That's how God just operates in the world. He takes care of his people and he uses his people to take care of others. Treasures become the great revealer. And they, they tend to allow us to see what really matters in our priorities. Tim Sanders is the former chief solutions officer for Yahoo and he shares an interesting way to think about life's priorities and he says put things in three categories. Rubber, steel, and glass, okay? Put everything in three categories, rubber, steel, or glass. Things in the rubber category, there are things in your life that you can drop and your life will bounce right back. Let's say you, you miss a, a sporting event you wanted to go to and you just weren't able to go and you, you drop it, but it, your life bounces right back, okay? You're going to be fine. Then there's the things in the steel category. You drop these things and it's noisy, Right? If you miss a meeting at work, you know, it might get noisy for a little bit, but you can get the notes. If you forget to balance the checkbook, you get a notice from the bank that, hey, you're spending too much and it might get a little noisy, but you can recover. Dropping things that are metal creates noise in your life, but you can recover. The things in the glass category, that's another story altogether. You drop those things in the glass category and they shatter. It takes time to pick them up. You have to be really careful. You have to glue them back together over time. And the truth is, it's really challenging to put them back together. Now, here's what's interesting about this analogy. Is you choose what you put in each category. You choose what goes in each. You choose. A really good strategy then for investing in our priorities with one twist is the rubber category. You put your least investment there. If you can't do it, you don't lose. 
the metal category, you put more investment there, and the rubber category. The glass category, family, faith, relationships, justice, mercy, compassion, the work of God, invest deeply and protect and prioritize those items. It's a really good strategy with a twist. And this is not his twist. This is my twist. Grace. Grace. Maybe you've dropped the proverbial glass ball when it comes to treasuring the things of God and the call to be a blessing to others. Maybe you think you've shattered your life in this area and you can never put it back together again. If you've dropped the ball in this area, know that grace tells you it's never too late. It's never too late to begin following the ways of God. He will pick that ball up for you. He will put it back together. And he will bless you as you follow his vision for your life when it comes to money. So how does the Lord need to speak to you today in these quiet moments? Has money been your master? Have you been in pursuit of those things in life that are all about you, but not about God and others? Then confess this to God today. Offer a prayer of repentance and follow him in freedom Maybe for some of you, this is new information today. You're like, wow, I didn't know the Bible had this to say about money. It's a great time just to turn this area of your life to God for his wisdom and his guidance and his grace. Is this an area that you're just a pro in? Is this an area of your life that's been a blessing for you? Then thank God for the blessing of a generous heart and financial freedom, and ask God to continue to grow you in generosity. Because Jesus says that we can only serve God. We can't serve both. And he promises to bless us, and he promises to give us a joy and a deep satisfaction that nothing in this world or the next can take away. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for speaking to our lives in October of 2022. Lord, we can open the newspaper or, or launch a, an online site and see all sorts of things happening in the world. And as people of faith, we do so knowing that you are the God of yesterday, the God of today, and the God of tomorrow. Thank you so much for the wisdom that you have given us through the words of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for your call, Lord, to, to prioritize your work in the world and your promise to uphold us, your promise to provide for us, your promise to bless us as only you can, Lord, by putting our hearts with that which satisfies for eternity. Thank you, God. Thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.